monogamy is a social construct. Monogamy is a social construct. And it's like, all right, well, big coincidence that it was socially constructed in every society and culture on earth True, ever, right? The globe. There's yeah, there's marriage. Yeah. There's there's no culture that we know of where there's no marriage, right? True. There's no culture that we know of where nobody falls in love. At First Rounds on Me, we believe that one real date is better than 100 pen pals. With our mobile dating app, we make it fun and easy for you to meet someone in person for a real date. See someone you're interested in? We help plan your date. Pick a drink, a time, a venue, and send that person a date invite. It's that simple. Welcome back to Crowdsourcing Love. I'm Marn, and today I have Mackin Murphy with me. Hi, Mackin. Hi. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. This is a beautiful studio. It is. It's yeah. a good one. So Mackin usually lives in Australia. Who are you? Please introduce yourself. Uh, so I'm Mackin. Uh, I'm best known, I think, at this point as a scientist uh, studying human mating behavior. Mm-hmm. So I look into people's relationship dynamics and things like that. Yep. And uh, how people choose who they choose and why and why they do the things they do. Wow. And I do that mostly in Australia at the University of Melbourne, uh, where I'm a PhD student. Uh, I'm an Oxford graduate, and uh, I'm originally from Boston. Okay, originally yeah. from Boston, studied in London, and now studying in Australia. Yeah, studied in, studied in Oxford, now studying in Melbourne. Yeah. Is Oxford in London? It's kind of near London, yeah. Okay. It's like hour and a half out. Okay, yeah. got it. That's really cool. Yeah. Does your family miss you? You Terribly. keep going further and further. I know. I know. I'm trying to get as far away as possible. Uh, no, they're actually my my family's lovely, and they're uh, they're begging for me to come back constantly. I think yeah. I think the the hard rule is that they they need to see me in like 2026. So. Okay. Yeah. So I, that, that's gonna... when my PhD supposedly is going to end, and then I'll I'll probably try to come back to America, come near Boston, hopefully. Okay, so yeah. you're going to make your way back to America at some point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and you, the way I found you was via TikTok. Okay. Um, you also have an Instagram and you have like these really condensed videos about just dating and human mating behavior in relationships where you essentially like cite like three or four studies within each one. And I really like it because there's a lot of dating gurus out there who are just making stuff who up or just saying things yeah. and there's no data to back it up. Yep. So I, I love that you have the data to back it up. Do you get kind of annoyed with some of those gurus out there? Oh, absolutely. I mean. There's kind of two things that really annoy me online. One of them is people just making stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. Just de novo, they, they, there's no background to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that they feel or something from their like kind of highly nuanced personal experience. Yep. And they're just making it up, putting it online as a fact. Um, that annoys me. What kind of annoys me more, to be honest, and, and I, I, I don't make like clapback style videos or anything, uh, but I'm constantly tempted yeah. uh, by people who really – they have no education on the subject, but they're educated enough on another subject to be able to like pick out one study or something. Okay. Like you noted, I'm glad you noted that on my videos, I tend to cite several studies yeah. that back the point that I'm making mm-hmm. because science doesn't work. I mean, it works one study at a time, but it doesn't work one study on its own, right? right. One study showing an effect. It's like, if I'm talking about one study, I always go out of my way to say, hey, this is just one study, yeah. uh, usually at least. In science though, really, it's like you're looking at bodies of research, lines of evidence, right? Ongoing discussions. Yep. And so I'll see these viral TikToks where someone will pick out one study on like, I don't know, women's behavior changing at ovulation or something. Mm. And it's like, it's a, you know, it's a legit study and they're correctly describing what's in it, but because they didn't go to school for it and they don't work in it, they're unaware that 
that same study didn't replicate, right? And yeah. there are six other studies that show, you know, different effects um, using very similar data. Yeah. Uh, and that there's a critique published where someone said, actually, you know, if you if you reanalyze that data in a different way, the effect doesn't even come out. Right. And it's like, okay, so it's legit that you picked out one study, but what's frustrating is that you don't have the background to be able to assess, you know, the full body. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, impervious to making mistakes. I, I, I certainly uh, have and probably will continue to do. Yeah. But a lot of people, they try to use science to back whatever narrative they have by picking out, you know, one study. And that's that's just not how science works to begin with. Yeah, 1000%. Yeah. Um, I studied psychology, too. And I have my master's degree in counseling. And there's a whole class on statistics and mm. like understanding if something's actually significant. And I, yeah, so I really appreciate that you're out here bringing science to the dating sphere. That's, that's great. Um, okay. So is modern dating truly harder than ever or has it always been this hard? Well, it's, it's hard to know because the only time that, I mean, hard is kind of a difficult metric, right? It and feels they're, pretty hard. Yeah. It's a feel, hard is a feeling. But yeah, yeah, right. I think that the truth is, is that it's probably always been hard. Okay. It might be hard in unique and different ways, right? Mm -hmm. And it's also, it depends on where you are. Uh, like, this is something that we were kind of talking about a bit before the podcast started rolling, but like, it might be particularly hard for a high status woman living in New York. Right. Okay. That that might that yeah. might not be the ideal dating situation. Because right? there's so many more women than men. Because there's more women than men. And then also it's like the higher status you are as a person, the higher status you expect in a mate generally. Mm. And so your your mating pool gets smaller to an extent. The people yeah. who desire you, that's gonna get broader. But the people right. that you desire, it's like you know, if you're crushing it in life, it's like most people you know, I hate to say this, but aren't good enough for you in some way, yeah. right? Um, so for individual people, it might be very, very difficult. But I would say that overall throughout human history, the and throughout the animal kingdom as well, yeah. the struggle to survive and reproduce has always been the key competition, right? That That's yeah. the main event as an animal. That's the purpose and, of life. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so it should be hard. Mm -hmm. And we have every reason to think that, it, you know, it was hard. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Why should people get into monogamous relationships? Why should from a, like a scientific perspective? Why should people? I don't know. I mean, I'm not as a scientist, I'm more interested in true and false than should and shouldn't. Okay. But I would say that most people, um, based on a variety of convergent forms of evidence, most people are going to be most interested in monogamy, right? I yeah. mean, we see that even in, there are plenty of societies and cultures for it, like that we have this stereotype about men that, you know, they just want to have as many mates as possible, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's some truth to it. I'm not saying that that stereotype is complete nonsense, but if you look at cultures where men are allowed to have multiple wives, yep. they generally don't, right? Something like 90 to 95% of men in non-monogamous cultures, right? Cultures where men are allowed to have multiple wives, they only marry one woman, right? Why do you think that is? That's a good question. I think that we are, I think that different species have different tendencies and there's a variety of different forms of evidence that converge on this idea that our strongest tendency mm -hmm. is towards serially monogamous pair bonding relationships. Yeah. So I guess we could talk a little bit about that evidence. I mean, one thing that we see is that sexual dimorphism mm -hmm. predicts differences in um predicts differences in mating strategies so what's a sexual dimorphism so mean? sexual dimorphism means like the physical and brain different just the the overall 
physical differences between the sexes in a given species. Mm -hmm. We see that in species where there's lots of multiple mating, right? Um, Mating with different partners. We see that there tends to be very high sexual dimorphism in general. There seems to be an association. Um, And in our species, I mean, we talk about men being, you know, on average, larger and stronger. Yeah. But if you compare us to a highly dimorphic species, it's not even, it's not even close. I mean, so, I mean... Yes, men are larger and, you know, have certain physical differences compared to women. But if you com- if you look, even just eyeballing it, look at the difference between, say, male and female gorillas, right? Yeah. And compare it to male and female humans. Like, by comparison, we look almost the same. Yeah. And so those species with less dimorphism tend to, at least in primates, tend to be more monogamous. So that's one piece of evidence. Okay. Another one is the kind of psychological, emotional evidence, right? So the fact that, for example, we feel romantic love at all. Right. So yeah. the fact that we feel these pair bonding emotions, that's interesting. traditions around it. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not a coincidence. People talk about like, oh, monogamy is a social construct. Monogamy is a social construct. And it's like, all right, well, big coincidence that it was socially constructed in every society and culture on earth True. ever. Right. Around the globe. There's, yeah. There's marriage. Yeah. There's, there's no culture that we know of where there's no marriage. Right. There's no culture that we know of where nobody falls in love. Right. There's no culture that we know of where nobody gets jealous. Right. Jealous. Jealousy. The mate guarding emotion, let's call it. Right. That's a very strong psychological signal that we are interested in uh, at least stop at the very least stopping our mates from mating with other people. Yeah. Right. Um, And so that's that's a piece of psychological evidence. And we even see this. I mean, the arguably the least monogamous culture, right? In some ways, I mean, that's, that's kind of a silly thing to say, but a culture with a very high incidence of infidelity and the highest incidence of female infidelity that we know of, uh, the, the Himba, the, uh, the, they're a group of Namibian agro-pastoralists, right? Where most women have affairs, uh, even among them, there's some jealousy. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, uh, Brooke Shelza, who's the researcher who looks into them, she told me this just hilarious anecdote where, you know, she was she was talking to this, and I, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly. It was it was on my podcast, but she was talking to this woman who was saying, you know, like, oh yeah, I don't get jealous. It's fine. Like I know that my husband might, you know, see other women, that kind of thing. I, I I try to be mature about it. And then she gets in the car with her husband to drive somewhere, yeah. right? And that same woman runs up to the car and is like, hey, bring him home tonight. Um, basically, like getting a surge of jealousy. Oh my <laughs> so, god. So so I'm just saying that, like, um, I guess in in terms of re- reviewing the evidence that we are a mostly monogamous primate, and, I, and I'm saying monogamous in the social sense, I'm not saying that infidelity isn't natural as well. Right. Um, but the fact that we have these, you know, monogamous unions and pair bonds, the evidence that that's natural, I would say there's the physical evidence that we have pretty low sexual dimorphism, right? Yeah. And then there's the psychological evidence that we, um, we get jealous, that, that we get jealous yeah. and that we fall in love, right? Yeah. And then finally, there's the uh, just behavioral evidence where it's like, if you're looking at a species and you're saying, what does the species naturally do? Mm-hmm. Generally, you just look at what they actually do. And yeah. in our species, what we actually do is generally form monogamous relationships. Yeah, not trying to go down the rabbit hole of polyamory or anything like that. I'm happy to. But is that because when I see polyamory, for me, I almost have a visceral reaction. Yeah, a lot I'm of people o- do. I'm an open-minded person, by the way. And like, I like, if it's your life, do what you want. As long as you're hurting nobody, great, whatever. But like, I really, to me, that would be like a non-starter. Yeah. Do you feel like, like, why do you think there's a surge in, I mean, poly- what's it called? Polygamy? 
I want to yeah. say po- I polyamory. Po- polyamory. Yeah. Okay. So why is there a surge in polyamory? Right yeah. Now? I mean, polygamy is a, fo- a form of polyamory. So fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much the surge is actual and how much of it is an illusion. Yeah. I don't know many people. Actually, you know what? I'll go ahead and say that I don't know a single person in real life who is in a formal polyamorous relationship. I don't either. I know some people who are informally polyamorous. Like they would never wear the polyamory label, right? They would never fly the polyamory flag. Right. But they're in like a situationship where one or both of them are probably seeing other people, right? So I don't know that, I I, I know that there's definitely a surge in the media. I don't know of any statistics and there might be, they, they might be there. I mean, this isn't my area. I don't research polyamory. Yeah. There might be a surge, but I would say that for the most part, people are socially permitted to have whatever sort of relationship they want to have nowadays. And most people still remarkably converge on monogamy. I will also say that if you see somebody who comes out publicly as polyamorous, it's not uncommon for a few years later to see them getting divorced. Yeah. But that's anecdotal from my experience. Yeah. There have been some high profile cases of it and I don't want to look, I mean, Clearly, it works for some people, yeah. right? There are some people who are in polyamorous relationships mm-hmm. and they swear by it. Yep. They publicly stand by it. And it's also, it's frankly, just none of my business if they if they want to live their lives that way. Yeah. I, have, I actually have next to nothing against it. I mean, we could- I we, say same, don't. Yeah. But for me, it's just like if a guy came to me with that proposition, I'd be like, no, nothing. Oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd be out as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I think that there is something to, to be said. I mean, I've spoken to people like Joe Henrik about, at Harvard about the societal benefits of monogamy, mm. right? I mean, if, if people are creating these high levels of multi-people relationships, right? The, the, the one-to-one pairing- is to some extent the the only way to get everybody a seat at the table, so to say. Okay. Right. Like, yeah. like to have these unstable multi-partner situations. Mm-hmm. There's 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 a variety of evidence that indicates that that's not necessarily. And again, it's 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 correlational evidence, but but it does seem that higher levels of monogamy mm-hmm. lead to higher levels of stability, right? Higher levels of okay. positive economic productivity instead of economic. So in society as a whole. Yeah, okay. uh, and and I guess it, it's kind of hard to explain why this is without getting super into the weeds. Yeah. But if people are if people are mating multiply you end up with a lot of cases where it's, you know, one man and several women, yeah. right? Um, and we can talk about this more. But what that means is that there are several extra men excluded from the mating market as a result of that, yeah. right? Yep. And it seems to be the case that men who are excluded from the mating market tend to cause a lot of trouble, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, because they're... They don't have they, one. They don't have skin in the game, and two, they want to compete into the upper echelon where they can actually have access to mates. Yep. And generally, they're going to compete pretty viciously. So again, at a personal level, I don't have anything against polyamory, and at a societal level, I'm open to the idea that it could be made to work, right? Okay. But I also am pretty cautious in the sense that I'm aware that there's correlational evidence that at a societal level, uh, m- monogamy might be better for social stability. Yeah, no, I, that makes complete sense to yeah. me. Um, kind of moving to a different topic, 
What is the medium ugly myth? I did not know about this until your page. Well, I mean, I I, I called it a myth, and I think that might be, it might even be slightly harsh. So you see this viral trend on social media. Yes. And I'm not sure how actually accurate it is to real life, right? I'm not sure how much yeah. this is a phenomenon. Where a girl is like, I dated a medium ugly guy. Or I prefer medium ugly. Yes. Right? Yep. And it's like, okay, well... Attractive men have more mates on average. Okay. They start mating earlier on average, I believe. They have more committed and doting mates on average, right? Okay. They themselves tend to date more desirable people on average, mm -hmm. right? So men who are attractive, there's all this statistical evidence that men who are attractive do better than, quote, medium ugly men, mm -hmm. right? So at a, at a general population level, I'm very skeptical of this idea that medium ugly is actually better, yeah. right? Yep. However, at an individual level, I could appreciate that there are some, there are some real drawbacks to dating attractive men, okay. right? Physically attractive men. So okay. there's some research indicating that physically attractive men are less satisfied in relationships, mm. right? There's some research indicating that they are more likely to show extra pair interest right? Extra pair interest, meaning interest in people who are not in pair, yeah, yeah, uh, meaning yeah. other than their partner, right? Totally. They're, they're more likely to be, you know, have a wandering eye, let's say. And I would say that uh, th there's also some evidence that uh, attractive men are generally less sociosexually restricted, right? Okay. So they're more interested in casual relationships than serious ones. Mm -hmm. And so it's possible that for some individual women, they go through their dating careers, right? They yeah. date some hot guys. These hot guys mistreat them. And they realize, hmm, if I aim a little lower, yeah. right, to the medium ugly ones, let's say. Uh, I also love the phrase medium ugly. It's, so yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's like, I'm, um, I'm here for it. Right, yeah. But yeah. they're saying, like, look, if I, if I aim a little lower to, like, if I aim lower to the point where I, where where I'm still somewhat happy with the way they look, but they're not necessarily going to be out of my league or mistreat me, yeah. then I'll feel more comfortable. However, right, so, so putting that aside, right, there's obviously going to be some women like that. And I, I, I genuinely don't, it doesn't make me happy to say this, right? Like, I'm not trying to be snarky. But I think for a lot of women, this is a, a way to cope, let's say, okay. right? So it's like, who you date, it's very visible how physically attractive they are. Right. And people compete. Everyone can see it. Yeah, everyone yeah. can see it. Mm -hmm. And people compete with each other over how attractive their mates are. They, they don't do this outwardly, generally, right? Yeah. Uh, very few people. But we yeah. all know there's the situation of like, oh, who are, you, who are you dating right now, right? And it's like, if they don't immediately pull out their Instagram to show you, right? It's, it's probably not an attractive person. 1, and that's because we all want to, or I won't say we all, but many people want to date someone attractive and have the social status associated with that. Mm -hmm. I think, and this is, you know, just just a speculative hypothesis, yeah. but we do see this sort of behavior in analogous ways elsewhere. I think that some women are dating guys who are visibly, physically unattractive mm. and their way of negating the status hit that they would take from that socially yep. Yep. is saying, oh, actually I prefer that. You know, I, I, I could date a super hot guy just like my friends, yeah. but I would prefer to date medium ugly. So Wait, that, that's kind of all I'd that. say about that. That's yeah. a hot take, and yeah. I honestly kind of agree with it. Yeah. Like, they might not know that they're doing it for that reason, but now it's like this whole trend, and everyone's like, yeah, I, I have a medium ugly guy too. Yeah. You know, it's like a club. Yeah, and I, I think, think that, cool. right, and I think that, you know, I think that a lot of 
I think that there's a lot I think that there's a lot of analogous things where people will claim to prefer traits that they don't actually prefer mm. in order to negate the negative implications socially of other people commenting on it. So another example would be like uh, people saying they prefer dad bods, right? I've no doubt that some people do, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, there's huge I variance. Don't. Yeah, there's huge variance yeah. in what people prefer, yeah. right? But I think that a lot of people say they prefer a dad bod because the guys who have, you know, very fit athletic bodies are just unattainable for them. Um, but I also think that some people probably do prefer a dad bod. I yeah. I guess they might, but I also think that you know people. Also, it's like they may be talking about their own physicality too. Yeah. Where they're like, I'm not super fit, so therefore yep. I prefer the dad bod because then that kind of matches, you know, who I am. Yeah, so, that's legit. And I also yeah. think that there's like one thing that's interesting is that we see incredible effects of muscularity on male mating success. Yeah. Right. So it's it's very surprising because there's there's some there's some research that compares you know the the impact of height. Right. We talk about height so much yeah, as like an attractive male quality. Yeah. yeah that compares height to muscularity. Okay. And, you know, height is what we hear about. Like, in stated preferences, what people say they want, right? We always hear, like, oh, he needs to be six foot. Like, oh, he's six foot five. That's so hot, right? Yeah. That kind of thing. That you hear that a lot. But then you like actually... Two, six, three. Right, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then you look at studies investigating the impact of height on mating success and compare them in terms of their consistency, in terms of their reliability of producing results compare it to something like muscularity mm -hmm. or bodily masculinity, right? Broad shoulders, narrow waist. And generally, muscularity does better. Better. Right, which is interesting. So, so it, it, it kind, of, um, kind of goes back to what we were saying. Well, and know. it's kind of empowering because you have more power over your muscularity than you do your height. So That's a very good point, actually. And, and, and another reason that, that I'm glad you said that because I actually wanted to mention is that it could be that height tells us very little about someone's personality, 100%. right? But muscularity, it's like, okay, what what do guys who are jacked generally have in common, right? They're generally hardworking, right? Yeah. They're generally disciplined. They're generally consistent, right? I mean, some of them are just going to be genetically gifted, but a lot of them are going to have very positive personal traits. Yeah. And so it could be that women actually don't have that strong of a preference for muscularity. Yeah. It's just that guys who have muscles also have these great personal traits on average that allow them to compete. Yep. And then another factor that would be kind of different from, let's say, just women finding muscles super attractive, like let's say maybe maybe muscles actually aren't that attractive in practice. It could be that they are repellent to other males, right? Okay. So men, less so today, but you know, throughout history and in general, and I would say still instinctively, uh, men compete partially with fear. Right. Okay. Yep. And so it could be the case that men who are muscular, the reason that they have such success on the mating market on average in studies is because other men are frightened to compete with them. Yep. There was a study of frat boys, right? It's maybe not the best sample group, no, right? This is so but there was a, there was a study of frat boys. Yeah. And they had the frat boys rate each other on basically who can kick whose ass, right? Like who's actually able to fight or yeah. who would I be scared to fight hypothetically? Okay. And then they also had uh, the attractiveness of these frat boys rated independently, right? Okay. And this is obviously, I'm, I'm citing from memory here, so I could, I could be getting some of the specific details wrong, but the overall picture was that the, and this is just remarkable, the physical attractiveness of the frat boys was not a great predictor of how many mates they had, right? Okay. But their 
fear, right? Their intimidation, their, their, their bodily masculinity, let's yeah. say, was. Okay. And so it, it could be that muscularity, it could be that the reason men who are muscular are, do well on the mating market is because they don't have to compete for the mates they want. That makes complete sense. And there's also, you know, some question of is number of mates. I mean, we were just talking about monogamy is kind yeah. of the measuring just raw number of mates as a proxy for mating success. Probably not the best way to measure it. Yeah. But it tells us something. And and in this case, I think it tells us something interesting. Because I would say that maybe frat boys measure their success that way. Yeah, I could see that too, uh, to be honest. So people talk about like personality, being hot, being rich, all these different things. So when you think about like the amalgamation of all the things that people are selecting for when they select a mate, what let's start with men and then we'll go into women. But what do men look at when picking a mate? What do men look at when picking a mate? Gosh, that's that, I mean that's a huge question. It is a big one. Is I mean, it too broad. No, no, it's not. I would say that I'll actually make it broader in order to make it simpler. Okay. I would say that people in general have evolved to look for principally two things in mates. Okay. Cues to quality, right? Mm -hmm. So ability to produce uh, robust offspring, robust, okay. survivable, likely to reproduce again offspring. Yep. And then the ability to provide for, you know, the capability, willingness, uh, let's just say capability, to invest in those offspring. So that those, let's put those as the two broad categories. Okay. So in the fir first category of... of and some of the some of the things are going are going to be mixed, right? That this is this is something that we in, in a very broad sense might refer to as dual mating, right? Mm -hmm. We're looking for traits that indicate cues to quote unquote genetic quality, right? Can this person produce healthy offspring with me? Yeah. So that would be things like intelligence, right? Things like being hot, right? Those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, having a great sense of humor, perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, then there'd be things that would be like, is this person going to invest in me, right? And can they do it? Right. So it's like, are they going to invest in me? Most people, the most important thing I would say is that they want a mate who actually loves them, right? In terms of a long-term yeah. mate, yeah. right? Like that's a non-negotiable. It's like the foundation. Like if this, mm -hmm. if this person hates me, I wouldn't want to be with them anyway, right? That, yeah. That's a bad idea. Yep. Why is that a bad idea? It's like, well, they won't invest in me. They won't invest in my offspring. And then it's, can they invest, right? Do they, do they have the capability? So this could be, do they have good parenting abilities, right? Personality traits associated okay. with being, you know, there's a reason that we wouldn't want to necessarily be with someone who's, you know, got a short temper, that sort of thing. Yep. And then in a modern economy, in a modern environment, it would be things like money. Okay. Where it's like they can actually, they can pay the bills. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. So those would be the two broad categories, let's say, of like genes and investment. And men and women maybe depending on the socioecology might put different weights on those things and then different things might go into those boxes yeah. like for example for capability and willingness to provide for and protect offspring in that box uh for men things like cues to fighting ability might come up from yeah. an instinctual Which perspective is like tall and muscular yeah tall muscular okay. broad etc but for a woman, those don't, those don't, for a man interested in a woman, those don't necessarily come up. Right? I feel like for men, they care more about just like beauty. Men do select highly for beauty, but it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So if we take a group of men and women in basically every 
in basically every investigation of this in every country, right, that's, that it's been looked into, right, this is, this is as close to a universal gender difference as you can find. If you ask people, what do you want in a mate? Mm -hmm. Men will rank beauty, physical attractiveness, yeah. higher than women. Okay. And I agree. Like, anecdotally, I do as well. That's the stated preference, okay. right? But <sighs> there's a gap between what people say they want and what people actually choose in Ooh, practice, right? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And if you look at speed dating studies, okay. If you look at some dating app data, it seems that women select very highly for physical attractiveness as well. I'm not going to say that there's. I'm not going to say that there's no difference. Yep. I think that all of us understate how much we care about beauty. Yeah. Right. When selecting a mate. Mm -hmm. But it's possible that women especially understate it. Now, th this could be for social reasons, right? I'm open to the idea that there's more stigma against women saying like, oh, I just really want a hot guy, right? Right. Um, but I would say that in practice, in practice, looks matter more than people say. Just generally. Just generally. Yep. And I think that they matter more for men than most men and women think. Yeah. So, for example, I'll give a couple examples of this. Okay. When you're assessing someone's personality, right, you're looking into the, who they are, right? You're looking yep. into their personality mm -hmm. through the lens of their physical attractiveness. This right. is something that's sometimes called the halo effect in psychology, right? But, but, yes. but there's, there's other related things. So you're familiar with it. There, there, there's other things that are, are not quite the halo effect but are similar where a guy who is hot is going to be perceived as funnier right? Mm -hmm. He's going to be perceived as having a better personality, right? He's going to be perceived as more intelligent, even more if he likeable. isn't. More likable, yeah. even if he isn't, right? I mean, they've done some really silly studies here where that, you know, they've, I mean, it's terrible, but they've put photos and biographies, kind of like a dating app, yep. and mixed and matched them to try and determine the effect of looks versus personality, yeah. right? To compare those things. Yep. And there was a study on women where they did this, and they found that personality mattered if a guy was hot enough, right? Okay. So the guys who were very unattractive, yep. they were rated as having worse personalities, right? Wow. And they were rated as worse personalities than they would have if they were hot, and they were rated as less dateable overall than the hot guys, yeah. right? Bit of a depressing finding, and, I'm, and again, it is just one study, but there's other studies that converge on this, this idea that if you're past a certain level of hotness, then personality makes a difference, right? Okay. And personality might matter across the spectrum, yep. but if you're not attractive enough for a person's standards, then personality, it might Becomes matter, but it doesn't... Yeah, but it doesn't quite make a difference. For, for dating and, yeah. and relationships. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and because it's so funny, I'll, I'll share the second part of this study. They brought in the, the women who they had rate these photos and biographies and things like that. Okay. And again, the, the basic effect here is that there were moderately hot guys, there were hot guys, and not so hot guys. And the personality changed whether the hot guy or the moderately hot guy was preferred, okay. right? But no matter what, the not hot guy was not preferred, right. right? And the second part of this study, which is so peculiar, they had the women's mothers come in and were like, choose someone for your daughter to date. Yeah. And you'd think it's like, gosh, I mean, the mothers are surely going to pick based on personality, right? They're oh. Because they're, they don't have to be with the guy physically, right? right? I totally. hope. Yeah. And one would yeah, one, one, one would hope. Yeah. 
And yet they went through the same selective pattern as their daughters. There were some nuanced differences, but the basic pattern of them preferring the hot guys to the unattractive guys, regardless of personality. And I mean, moderately hot and moderately attractive. I keep yeah. saying hot, moderately attractive versus very attractive. So they, they cared about that too. They cared about that too. Yeah. Now from a social perspective, this is pretty hard to get your head around because it's like, well, they don't have to sleep with their daughter's boyfriend. So why do they care what he looks like? Right. But from a basic sexual selection perspective, right? From yep. a biological perspective, it's like, well, that's their grandchild that they're talking about. Right. And so they have they have to care about the same things, right? They have to care about the good genes components. Lineage. Yeah. It's their lineage. Yeah. And so for the same reason that you'd want a good looking husband to have children with, or one might want a good looking husband to have children with, you'd also want a good looking man to help produce your grandchildren. Yeah. And we can talk about why looks matter. I mean, it is I keep saying good genes and I, and I want to clarify that no individual person's genes are better than another. That, 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 that's a phrase yeah. that comes to us from evolutionary biology. Yeah. And when you're talking about ducks and tortoises, it's kind of all well and good to just say good genes, right? Yeah, but, then but with yeah, humans, yeah, that's, that's, well that's, it's a terrible phrase. Yeah. But it is, it is just, it's just what's used in the literature. And, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I can't just willy-nilly rename things. Yeah. Um, but I will say that what we're talking about there in terms of good it's like good from the most, not good from a moral perspective, not good from a ethical perspective or a personal perspective, or even a pleasure perspective. Good as in more likely to produce offspring who are more likely to survive and reproduce. Okay. So one example of this mm -hmm. is just the sexy son hypothesis. This, this is going to sound like circular logic, but it's yeah, not. I need to hear what this is. If some traits, some physical traits, are preferred by women. Mm -hmm. Then women are incentivized to pick those traits because they will have sons who have those traits oh. and then are preferred by women themselves. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about it with because talking about it with humans, it feels kind of feels kind of crazy. Yeah. So it's easier to start with like an animal example. Yeah. Right. So if you're a female peacock, and I'm not saying that this is how, or if you're a pea hen, right? Yeah. Obviously, peacocks are the males. Yeah. You know, there are peacocks of varying physical attractiveness, right? Okay. And the peahens choose among them. Yep. The peahens who choose the attractive males mm -hmm. will have some male offspring. And yeah. those male offspring will have their dad's traits, right? And so they are more likely to have grandchildren as a result of picking the attractive mate, right? Got it. So this isn't necessarily why traits become attractive to begin with, right? But the sexy son hypothesis basically posits that... Once something is attractive, whether it's attractive for arbitrary reasons, yeah. whether it's attractive for actual pragmatic reasons, yeah. once a trait is attractive, well, then selecting it is a really great decision because you're going to have attractive offspring who will have an easier time reproducing themselves. Yeah, you're like setting up your future yeah. kids. And it's framed, it's framed as sexy sons, but it's, it's really attractive offspring in general because okay. uh, it's, it's in a – the original iterations of this theory were built on – species in which males compete for female attention. Yeah. But humans are a mutual mate choice species where, as you well know, as a matchmaker, yeah. uh, the, the women are partially competing for the men and the men are partially competing for the women. Oh, for sure. We have clients who they'll say they want X, Y, and Z. And it's like, we'll go out and find that. But then that person who we find with X, Y, and Z has to agree to date yeah. you too. It's not just like, go and find me, go buy me a car, yeah. like a, an object. Yeah. Um, okay, switching gears a little bit. I think the whole attractiveness thing is like 
so intriguing. Um, how should people okay, you say that people should not try to date out of their league. How do you know what your league is? That's interesting. Well, I wouldn't say that people should try to date out of their league. No, they should not try to date out of their league. They just should not try to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I think that there are, there are there are trade-offs to dating out of your league. Okay. Right. So there that people think about all the benefits of like, oh, I want to be dating like a super hot guy. Yeah. And it's like as we discussed, a super hot guy comes with extra hassles. Yeah. Right. Or I want to date a super hot woman or whatever. A lot of the stuff I'm saying is, is, is I'm saying it in a gendered way, kind of yeah. facing towards men. But basically everything I've said on this podcast, you could flip the genders around and it would still be true. It still applies. Yeah, okay. still applies. I just recognize that your your audience is probably mostly women. Uh, yeah. yeah, for the most part. So uh, with that caveat of like, if you want to date someone out of your league, you know, there, there's some there's some risks to that, but it's but it's fair enough. With, the, with that caveat kind of out of the way, um, in terms of how do you know what your league is, it's funny. People aren't that good at assessing their own attractiveness. Really? No, they're not that good. It's, okay. it's interesting. I'm, I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that like you look in the mirror and you think, you're, you think that your vision is accurate. There are a couple of depressing and seemingly consistent effects where people who are and again, this isn't this isn't perfectly my area, right? There there might be some things I don't know here. But it does seem to be the case, for example, it does seem to be the case that people who are unattractive aren't great at realizing that. Okay. Right? They're 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 largely blissfully unaware, unaware. and overrate themselves. Okay. Right. So if you have people who rate themselves, people who are unattractive tend to overrate themselves. And you know, people of middling attractiveness tend to be more accurate. And then people who are very attractive, like extremely attractive people, yeah. they tend not to quite realize it. You know, they, they, okay. they, they, they don't necessarily fully have a grasp on like, you know, they might be a one in a hundred beautiful person. Right. And they just think like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, one in 10. Yeah. Right. Okay. Not, that's not specific numbers from a study, but that's, that's, that's the general phenomenon that we're seeing. So I would say, how can you make your guess more accurate? Right. Mm -hmm. It might be depressing for some people, but I would say look at your exes, right? Okay. So if you've dated, you know, if you've got a few boyfriends, a few girlfriends in your past, it might not be a bad idea to just take a little look. And, you know, people, interpartner correlations of attractiveness tend to be somewhat high. And so it's not necessarily a bad idea to say, well, how attractive are the people I date? How attractive am I? Let me see. Who have I dated? Oh, everyone I've dated is super hot. I'm probably super hot because right. super hot people generally date super hot people. But it's like, oh, everyone I've dated is actually very unattractive. It's like, well, very unattractive people generally can't date very attractive people. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. I will say, though, as well, that just as a note and maybe as a corrective measure is that when people look at couples, right, generally the woman is rated as more attractive than the man, right? Oh, really? To other people, yeah. Okay. And I would even go so far, and this kind of comes to me from uh, from Alexander from Date Psychology. He, I, I, I don't know of anyone else who's made this point before him, but it might just be worth saying that it seems that women are objectively more attractive than men yeah. in the sense that when men and women rate women and men, mm -hmm. right? The women get rated much higher, right? Okay. And this could be for a variety of reasons. I'd be open to it just being kind of plain, like in the same way that 
male peacocks are more attractive than peahens. It could be that you know female humans are more attractive than male humans. Right? Yeah. That's, that's possible. Yeah. That, that happens in species. That that one species leans more into physical beauty. Yeah. But even if we were dead even, you'd expect to find this gap because across cultures and you know to an extent throughout history, certainly certainly uh, as far as I'm aware women have generally on average put more effort into their physical appearance than right. men right yeah and so let's take you know i know that there's all this like gender wars online and people you know like to like to get all riled up about uh, disagreeing with this sort of thing but think about it just take gender out of it imagine you have two groups of people and one group spends half an hour more on their looks every single day right which group is going to be hotter that person that group yeah that that group yeah. is going to be hotter and so we're seeing that with men and women where women spend more time on their looks every single day yeah. and so when i you know come onto a podcast and say oh women are more attractive than men you know people are like oh that's not true like do they have to be even and it's like no they don't have to be even right. uh, one group is spending more time on their looks yeah. are you really surprised like and, and if you know as a man it's like you should be uh, you should be thankful that you can uh you can outcompete other men in the looks department pretty easily because most of them just aren't trying that They're hard. They're not trying that hard. Yeah. Okay. Also, isn't you said something about girl beauty versus versus male beauty? So like men find different things beautiful in women than women find in other women. Yeah. I mean, I I think is it's that a thing, I think it's it? I think it's generally the same to oh, be honest. I mean, that okay. video that video went super viral, and I was more commenting that there are small that what there are, are the small differences. Things? Cause I feel like, yeah, like sometimes well, I got, men will be like, that girl's so hot. And then women are like looking at a different girl and being like, she's so beautiful. I know. Yeah. I know. It is interesting. Yeah. So that, I would say that usually there's pretty high agreement on, like, I think that if we like yeah, brought out, agree. yeah, if we brought out a range of actors or actresses, I think both sexes would be like, yeah, this is a good looking group of people. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be a difference in terms of the people that women fawn over versus the people that men fawn over. And yeah. I would say that's, that's true of both sexes. Right. I would say that, um, you know, to an extent. To an extent, does it? Does he need a little attention? No, you can keep going. Okay. He's just annoying. You know, <laughs> I don't think he's annoying naughty. at all. <laughs> the um, uh, no, he's a lovely dog. The uh, I would say what, what what were we talking about? I'm sorry, I got distracted. You were gonna say like the small little nuance. Oh of yeah, what yeah, men yeah. Like versus yeah. what women see. Well, one color. of them. I mean, it's kind of funny because the the beauty uh, a beauty magazine, uh, basically criticize me for saying this but i all i can do is say it again because it is true yeah that on average women perceive thinner they perceive the beauty standard as thinner than it is for men okay right yeah so that, that, it's men not like even little, you know this is something that, like a little curve yeah so yeah. this has been this has been replicated in multiple studies i like i didn't i genuinely didn't say anything on, on i didn't say anything that would be controversial to anyone who i welcome it yeah it, it lets us all eat more i didn't even yeah i didn't even think that it was that bad of a thing to say but they were like you know this is nonsense da 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 da, da like yeah. that the thin beauty standard it comes from men and i'm like i didn't say that it didn't come from men mm-hmm. i'm just saying that on average if you take men and women yeah. and have them rate how they perceive the attractiveness of a body yeah. or pick their favorite body, yep. women on average pick lighter women than men pick. Okay. I'm not saying that men pick is I mean, and some people on the other side, some, you know, crazy misogynist bastards were like just coming on and saying that, yeah. uh, you know, that, that that it's not true and men do want thinness. I'm like, I didn't say that men I didn't say that thinness didn't matter to men. I just said that on the spectrum, men tend to put Generally tend to yeah, they tend to select more average weights. Yeah. And women tend to select more 
just by comparison, thinner weights. So I would say that that's just to go back to the question. Sorry, I, I kind of wrapped up and just the, and then also <laughs> just the rebuttals over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but just to just to kind of pin down that point. Yeah. One difference between the kind of folk psychological concept of like guy pretty versus girl pretty, like mm -hmm. who do girls like versus who do guys like when yep. they're selecting who's a, you know who's a good looking woman. Men generally prefer slightly heavier women than men do. Than women do. They're sorry. Yeah. Men generally prefer slightly heavier women than women do. Yep. And I also don't think that that's, I don't think that that should be that surprising. And I think that the reason it shouldn't be that surprising is that you can go to a CVS or, or a gas station right now and just look at the magazines that feature women that are aimed at men yeah. versus those that feature women that are aimed at women. Interesting. And you'll see, I mean, I, I don't know if there's been any study on this. I, I mean, there certainly, there certainly have been some studies on, on BMI and in Playboy centerfolds and whatnot. Yeah. But I think it's patently obvious that the women who are modeling for women tend to be very svelte, very, right? Very, skinny. Very, very yeah, skinny. Crazy. And um, I'm not saying that it's an a, a obtainable or, or attainable or fair beauty standard at all, but can can we say that on average it does seem that the women men are interested in mm -hmm. are less thin? I th I think that that's fair enough, and it's something that replicates in the lab. Even if you know maybe you do a magazine study, and what I'm saying isn't true, I'm I'm really speaking anecdotally. Yeah. But anecdotes aside, the data is there as well, yeah. and the data generally shows that men care less about thinness than women. Yeah. No, I actually really like that. I think it's empowering and freeing for women because. Yeah. The beauty standard and like surrounding thinness can be, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of inter interpersonal variation as well, um, where we see that, you know, individual men will prefer a wide range of um, a wide range of weights. Individual yeah. men will prefer a, a wide range of weights. And uh, across cultures, you know, in some cultures, very heavy women are, are preferred. Yeah. Very, very heavy compared to, uh, I'm not saying that. And again, there's no, there's no valence on that. Yeah. You know, it's fine to be very heavy. I, I don't totally. see Totally. Yeah. See, we're both open-minded here. Yeah. No, it's, it's totally chill. Um, we only have a few minutes left and I have so many questions. We're obviously going to have to do a part two at some point, maybe over video because obviously you live in Australia. Um, I'm trying to decide where I want to kind of go. There's a few, can we do like a little rapid fire? I know you like to give the background on everything but i do want to quickly touch on everyone being obsessed with body count okay and like why is everyone so obsessed with body count and what's your take on that well it's interesting i mean i think that a lot of the obsession i think that a lot of the obsession with body count is driven by these kind of men facing podcasts yeah and they're they're saying that you know they're saying negative things i guess the, the key feature is that they're saying negative things about women with high body counts yeah and they say that it's a research-driven thing based yeah. on the idea that like, oh, people with high body counts or women with high body counts are more likely to be unfaithful or less likely to be satisfied. And it's like, well, there is some research showing that sort of thing, but it shows it for men as well. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of weird that these... The same thing across the board. I know. And it's these... People with, with yeah, high body counts. But they don't say that. And that makes me suspicious of their, of them saying that it's purely research-driven because these same podcasts will say things like, oh, men should have high body counts and men should be playboys and that kind of thing. So like it doesn't seem- Who are seem... they having sex with then? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's the other thing is that the whole body count discourse of like men should have high body counts, women should have low body counts. Can anyone not notice that that's just a failing vision for society? It doesn't make any like, sense. Like we can't, that's, that's mathematically that doesn't work. 
So you can't say like, oh, men should sleep around, women shouldn't. It's like, unless the men are sleeping around with each other, that's not a realistic vision for the future. it's very dehumanizing to women. Oh, yeah, especially. Because it's like all the women they had sex with before they partnered up, they were just like subhuman almost. Yeah, they'll even say things like recreational use only. And it's like, it's completely disgusting. And it's like, you can't even listen to it. So what is the average body count? It's, it's, I think it's much lower than people in New York, I think. I feel um, like if it's like the average, is it average for America? Because I feel like it might yeah. be higher in cities that are more, they have more hookup culture. Yeah. The average for America based on CDC data is, let's just say somewhere around several, uh, if we're looking average as median. I mean, their data in participants age 25 to 44 census. So it was a representative sample. Um, sorry, CDC representative sample. And uh, I believe it was four for women and six for men. And there's a mismatch there that could be because women generally underplay their body counts and men generally hype it up, right? But it also could just be because they excluded virgins from their data set. Okay. So, and there are probably more men who are virgins than women. And if you exclude the zeros, right? If you exclude more zeros from one side, you'll get a higher number. So it could be that that the lying actually isn't having an effect. But I'm open to the idea that women downplay it and men play it up. I would say that it's fair enough to say somewhere around five. Five. You know, okay. somewhere That's around interesting. that. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a few listener questions. Um, this person said, have there been any studies on what leads to a more successful dating profile? More successful dating profile? Yeah. Um, looks and education. Looks and education? Yeah, if we're doing rapid fire, looks and education. Okay. So it's like make sure you look as good as you can in your photos. You know, I would recommend have a friend of the opposite sex help you pick out your photos. Someone who's like actually a friend. Yeah, yeah, like make yourself, you know, look, make yourself conform to what the opposite sex wants as best you can, looks wise. And then- um, Whiten your teeth. Yeah, right. And then there's some research indicating that education level has an impact on a dating profile success. So people like people who are more educated. Yeah, and I don't think that's particularly surprising, but it's also not something you can change, but it is something you can advertise. So it's like, if you're educated, I may as well advertise it. Yeah. great. What color should women wear on dates? <laughs> what color? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there's some research that shows that red is like the sexiest color or whatever. I mean, there's some funny studies where they like put red backgrounds in front of photos yeah. and it, it has them rated as sexier or whatever. I always tell my girls to wear, or the women I work with to wear red or yeah. black. Yeah. I think red and black are good shouts. Uh, black is great because it's, you know, it's slimming, looks cool. Yeah. I like wearing black, but. Yeah, we're both in black today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's like a funeral in here. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, and everyone <laughs> off camera is wearing black as well, it looks like, um, which is kind of funny. Guys, but in any, yeah. <laughs> but in any case, the, um, I, I would say red, I would say red is a good shout. It's certainly the only one that I know of that has any research behind it. Yeah. But maybe red signals other traits that are undesirable. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah. Like it's possible to be more attractive, but, you know, viewed as like, I don't know. What? I don't know. Like, yeah. So, well, I don't know. I don't know about red specifically. I'm just saying that it's hard to have a research driven answer. Like one example is that we see that like women with tattoos get approached more. Right. And they generally are like more, you know, they get hit on more, they get asked out more, that kind of thing. But then it's like men also rate them as less physically attractive. And so it could be that it's just driving up the perception. The thought is that, uh, the research seems, yeah, the research seems to indicate that, that that's the perception. I'm not saying that that's do men value women less if they sleep together on the first date? I don't know of any research on that. Um, yeah, I don't know of any research on that. So I'd be, I'd be kind of speaking out of school. That's a really interesting question, though. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
do um what do you think of 50-50 relationships are they fair 50-50 is in going like dots econo- on the bill I think like economically maybe I think that okay well I think that from a, I'll, I'll just speak to the research that I know couples that have a more equal distribution of labor in the household yep as in the men is picking up after himself and maybe, you know, helping cook and things like that and yeah. cooking for her and that kind of thing, uh, doing laundry, helping helping out the woman and the woman's helping out him, right? It's There's reciprocity there as opposed yeah. to, you know, one person being the default. Those people tend to be more sexually active with each other, right? They tend Ooh. to they tend to experience more desire. If you want to have like a hot relationship. Yeah, as a man. With the, with the duties. As a man, yeah. If you're living with your girlfriend, do chores and and uh, some people on the internet I, I said that once before and a bunch of guys were like that's not true da, 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 da. i'm like you think that leaving your fucking underwear on the ground is an aphrodisiac like this is like if she feels like your mom she's not gonna want to have sex with you yeah i mean that's like, that's that's a, that's a, a possible interpretation is that uh, mothering someone is uh you know gonna shut down everything it will shut down everything yeah. for the man too because yeah. He doesn't want to sleep with his mom either. Yeah, it's, you know, like it's like not the right turning dynamic. it into a parental relationship. Yeah, so it does seem that men who step it up and uh, and do their thing in the household as well, those guys, uh, those guys seem to be more attractive to the girls they're with. But it could be a could be a reverse causation thing. Okay, I'm really bummed because we were supposed to talk about cheating today. I know. Um, what is your biggest piece of dating advice? And when you're giving your biggest piece of dating advice, can you also include? This is like going to be a really long answer from you. I can oh, be done. Geez. Can you also include like when somebody's on like early days of dating, what are some like red flags that they should watch for? Okay. And like run as soon as they see them. And when I say red flags, I mean like a deal breaker, like get out of there. Yeah, well, I guess I guess we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about dating advice as in like advice for single people. Yeah. And I totally understand why we've come at that because you're obviously, you know, you're the owner of a matchmaking company. Yeah. And so a lot of your audience is going to be single women. I would say that, you know, most of my good advice is yep. for people in relationships. Okay. And that's what, you know, that, that, that goes back to the chores thing. But it's also, it's, you know, it's what we do with um, at my company, Couply, where okay. we, you know, we have this app where you both download it. You can play fun games with each other. And what we're trying to do now is we're trying to bring some of the science of how people can have happier relationships, right? How people can, you know, have hotter, funner, better relationships with their partner. Yeah. Um, we're going to bring that into or we are bringing that into an app setting. Um, so a lot of the things that I could say in terms of like good dating advice, it would be for couples. It would be like, hey, touch each other more, flirt with each other more, yep. right? Do the things, I mean, people talk about, you know, dead bedrooms and things like that. And I'm not saying it's not tough, but it's like, are you are you doing the things for each other that you used to do when you first met each other? Mm-hmm. And it's like, so why are you expecting, you know, there to be all that follow through where you're both, you know, yeah. trying to get in each other's pants all the time. Um, and then in terms of like having those fluttery romantic feelings, it's like, it's hard to have fluttery romantic feelings when you're not doing any fluttery romantic things, right? You guys aren't going on dates, you know, you're not spending time with each other. You never compliment each other, right? You're leaving your dirty dishes out. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. You're not mixing up, going on vacations, that sort of thing. Um, you know, there, there, there's all, all sorts of things like that. You're not reminiscing together. That's actually a research backed one. Um, yeah. Couples that reminisce together seem to do better. Again, it could be reverse causation, but I suspect that. I love that. Yeah, reminiscing is good. Yeah. But in terms of advice for single people, and I recognize that that's that's um, that's probably most of our audience today. Yep. Look your best. 
put your best foot forward, right? And nothing's particularly surprising here. Try to be the best version of yourself and build yourself into the best version that you can be. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it's kind of the cliche, like internet saying of like, don't, don't chase attract. There's, I love that. But there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Like the idea that really you should be building. Uh, I mean, I, I think people have said that, uh, that dating is more like building a butterfly garden than going hunting, right? Where it's like yeah. you want to build something that attracts the butterflies as opposed to, you know, running through the forest with a net, you know? Do you feel like um, it's more like that for women? We're building a butterfly garden while men are like running with the app? <laughs> or do you think it's like for everyone? I think that, I think that it's definitely more, <laughs> I think that there's definitely more chasing for men yeah. because women are more selective than well, men on like average. To be, we like to be chased yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone, everyone does. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Women, are, women generally have higher standards for their relationships than men. And so men generally have to chase somewhat more, yeah. right? But I would say that even if it was, and I know there probably aren't a lot of men listening, but even for men, I would say, you know, be someone worth dating, you know, be, be a man worth dating. Uh, you know, try to make yourself look your best, get a good job if you can, all get that sort cologne. of stuff. Get some cologne. Get some cologne. Yeah. Things. Yeah. And then in terms of, re you asked about red flags as yeah, well. Yeah, like I just need your high list because I feel like... <sighs> Don't people, like, usually reveal who they are within the first, like, 20 minutes of meeting them? Oh, that's an interesting question. And, like, are there any, like, quick little, like, if they say this, run away? Or is that too broad of a question for today? And we'll just have to do a part two I think, via Skype. I think we might have to do a part two, but, yeah. I, but I, will, I will make some notes just to – that I, I would say that there – I can't think of anything that I would blanket recommend as a deal breaker for everybody that isn't like incredibly obvious. Like obviously you don't want to be dating a violent sociopath or okay, something like that. Okay, you're right. It's but, too, it's too. Well, 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 yeah, well, it, but I can think of plenty of things that predict, predict future relationship problems. I mean, one of these would be, it does seem that someone who has an unrestricted sociosexuality, right? So they're very fond of casual sex, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Very fond of uncommitted sexual relationships. Yep. Those people do seem to, those people do seem to have some trouble uh, in terms of having like a long-term committed relationship. That's what you're looking for. Yep. So, you know, and I don't think that's particularly surprising that there's very much conventional wisdom of like, oh, I don't want to date a fuck boy. And it's like, there's, there's reasons why. Yeah. And that seems to be somewhat backed by data. Um, someone, and this is kind of an uncomfortable one, but someone who their parents didn't have a good, healthy relationship. Yeah. There's some indication that things like divorce, infidelity, relationship, dissolution, abuse, these things sadly seem to run in families. Yeah. And so, and and again, I'm not saying that this is a deal breaker at all. I'm just saying that it's worth being aware of the fact that you need that to note it. You need I'll, to flag it. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll reframe it and just say that if someone's parents have a great relationship and they're happily in love, then flag. they they grew up with a very positive model to follow, and that's that's gonna that that's a, that's a green flag. Yeah. yeah, I love this. Um, you're you have to only if you agree. I'm like really pushing the part two, but at some point I would love to have you back. Okay, You're phenomenal. Sure. Yeah. I love just listening to you. I could have listened to you for another like three hours. Oh, that's very nice. I feel me. like you need to like go on Joe Rogan or something. <laughs> like you need like that like long form. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, plug yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people find Coupley? All the things. Oh yeah. Uh, well, me, it's pretty easy. If you can spell my name and you Google it, everything's gonna come up. Yeah. Um. So that that's pretty easy. 
Uh, Couply, again, pretty simple. It's it's couple, but instead of an E, it's a Y. And that's an app for people. That's not a dating app. It's a, it's a, it's an app for couples. Okay. So it's for people who are already in relationships. They found their person and they want things to be better. But could you use it early days of dating? Or is that like I think, I think, oh, well, you could. You could. If you're bold. You could. I think it's a bold Might move. Might be a little cray-cray. I think it's a bold move. But I'd say, I'd say, yeah. I mean, actually, I'm going to say yes. And I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, double down on that in the sense that if you guys are, you know, an official couple and you guys are just start, that's a really quick way. A lot of the quizzes and things like that, yeah. it's a really quick way to get, in, get to know each other. I think that's an awesome way to get off on the right foot. Yeah. Cute. yeah. Well, thank you again, Matt. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, it's been great. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks.